You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, everybody, you're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is one of the fastest growing social media applications for the outdoor enthusiast. Be sure to download it wherever you download your podcasts and check it out with if you have any questions on um, timetogowild.com. Now, day two and day three, a lot of walking around, a lot more uh, products to look at. Overall, really quick, this the the 2019 ATA show is in the books. What did you think? Well, for me as my first time there, yeah, I would say that it was definitely a positive experience. Yeah, it was fun to just be able to walk around with a lot less a lot less bodies than you would normally see at like a a typical expo or something. Yeah, open to the the whole public. Yeah, so that part of it was really nice, um, and I definitely met a ton of people that I've exchange messages with and stuff like that online yeah was able to meet a lot of those type a lot of those people in person right so overall i i loved coming to the show yeah and uh just to reiterate on kind of what we talked about uh what the last podcast that we released the the ato ata show day one podcast one thing i really like about the ata show is getting to meet the the people who work who have been working in the industry for like 40 years right not necessarily the big giant corporations like you know relative you know relative to the industry like let's say rage broadheads has only been around for a little while right i mean maybe 10 years but still compared to some of these other other companies that have you know like we're born into the archery, the bow hunting uh, industry. Um, it's awesome to see those see those people um, shake their hands, get a little history with some of their products, and uh, I don't know, as well as some of the mom and pop shops that are there as well. So I really I really like looking into the smaller companies, the smaller brands, and. Um, and giving them some love as well, because you never know, like, like we talked about the last time that total peep company, a lot of people would have walked right by him. Yeah. Yeah. So today, Garrett, um, I was, dude, I was swamped with meetings and I had the ability to look at a couple, uh, a couple cool products as well, but, uh, you've highlighted five that you're going to talk about. And yep. I'm, I think I'm going to squirt in a couple, uh, as well so why don't we just get right into it and talk about the first company that kind of stuck out to you yeah so there's a company called atomic rods okay they're known for stabilizers but they had a new product that was not actually a stabilizer here at the show that's i just checked it's not on their website either yeah but it was really unique for 
target archers, but also just archers in general. Yeah. Basically what they have is they have a tool that allows you to take a small sensor, attach it to the riser of your bow. They have an integrated app that goes with this. You draw your bow back and you hold your bow for, I think it's seven or 10 seconds or something like that. Yeah. And then the light goes off, you know, you can let down or shoot or whatever. It maps based on that sensor, what your pin float is doing. Okay. And it displays it on a graph. Okay. Right. So then you're able to plug in all of your specs, draw weight, draw length, um, rear stabilizer length, weight, front bar weight, length, all those different variables. Yeah. You can record all that. Then you can do the same thing with a new setup. Yep. Tweak some more things, do the same thing, do the same thing. Eventually you get a graph with like up to four different um, pin float patterns overlaid on top of one another. And then there's an algorithm that can take all that data. So you're not just looking at the stuff that look, might look similar and it ranks. Okay. These were your best pin float patterns. Okay. And then, so you take your top one. Okay. Now I know that this is the best. Now I can try tweaking some other stuff. So eventually you're taking maybe a pin float that looks like, you know, kind of a tight pattern, but you get maybe some waves every now and then or mm -hmm. something. You're able to really quickly fine tune and get kind of the best balance and pattern for setting up your bow so that you're able to hold the steadiest. Okay. And you can do that without that kind of technology, but it takes a lot of range time to be able to figure that out. Right. Right. So what, what, this is a, a laser attachment. It's not a laser. It's just a, basically a sensor, a okay. motion sensor. It's, it's, I've been imagining it's like an accelerometer type of thing. Okay. So it documents any little movement. Yeah. Okay. Microscopic movements it's picking up on. And there's different sensitivity levels. They they were saying that like guys who are just starting off in archery, like it was not, or it was uh, too sensitive for them, but then like not sensitive enough for the guys who were like pros. Yeah. So they've added different like sensitivity levels that you can, you can choose. Awesome. That seems like something that, I would be interested in using in the off season just f for the pure fact of I, I, I self admit don't have the greatest form when it comes to archery, right? I'm kind of a grip it and rip it kind of guy. And, um, even though I, I do practice a lot, I don't practice throughout the year like I should, but, um, practicing you know, all through the summer into the, you know, late, late spring in through the summer getting ready for you know an elk hunt or whatnot i can see how this would be cool just to practice in the house during the winter months yeah you don't have to be outside to use it right right and and i can see it especially i mean like it's not going to teach you how to shoot with good form right but if you can learn to shoot with good form it's a great refinement tool yes yeah i agree i agree it, it wasn't super cheap i think it was going to be like 300 bucks yeah so definitely not something that's going to be for everybody but yeah. Definitely a big time saver. You would have to be very serious about archery to, to purchase something like that, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do that kind of stuff in the summer, too, and it's like how many nights do I spend out on the range testing one more ounce of weight on the front bar yeah. or moving the rear bar out 10 degrees, and then you're just kind of going out subjectively off your memory. Did that pin float seem better or worse than what I tried just a second mm -hmm. ago? And that takes all the guesswork out of it, and it just gives you an actual number. It gives you a ranking based on... Gotcha. That algorithm. So does does the the output of that uh, data then allow you to? Does it tell you where you need to put the weight on the stabilizer? No, it just it just gives you what you're able to do with whatever setup you have, and allows you to take notes on what that setup was. Okay. So then you can store that and basically just go from there. So you have to give it the input. It can't predict 
based on what you've already done, what you should do next. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. And I feel like with with the smartphone and the the definite increase in technology, there's there's a lot more of that kind of stuff out out here, mm-hmm. right? And I think I saw a target today that automatically tells you how you need to adjust after shooting X number of arrows. I didn't I didn't catch the brand, but you shoot. There's a target, and then it patterns your it patterns what you shoot, mm-hmm. and then it tells you how to adjust your sight. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely very interesting. Uh, anything else on that product or that company? That was the main thing. I didn't really look too closely into their stabilizer stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies are making stabilizers. Right. What was the name of that company again? Atomic Rods. Atomic Rods. Okay. All right. What is the next one? Next one I had was Sitka. Sitka. Yes. That was one of mine as well. And for anyone in the Midwest who walks in the timber or for, and for the most part, it's in the crp or like the the 10 yards in between a field edge and the the timber that it's when where it's the thickest where the sunlight can hit the most and there's those damn birds <laughs> that just stick all over your clothes and so what sick has done is they've taken the little bottom part of their jacket and certain parts i would say from the bottom of the uh the bottom of the pants to somewhere around the knee is a new material right yeah they've taken the that high pile berber off of some of the key areas where birds would normally gather yeah and took some out of the the inside of the arm too um on both arms so like a small patch on your release arm elbow yeah. and then your entire draw length arm so if you're right-handed you're drawing back this entire sleeve your left arm sleeve is totally flat. Yep. You don't have that high pile where the string can get in the way. And then you don't have all that material crunching up on the inside crease of your elbow. And they do make that left and right hand of that jacket, that new Fanatic. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. So that's how that's how serious Sitka is about their gear, that they make a jacket for someone who's left or right-handed. And it's got a magnetic closure for the... So you got that side zipper that goes kind of up at a, an angle. Yep. You can take that extra flap, and when you fold it away, it magnetically attaches to the shoulder, so it stays out of the way. Of your, I didn't catch that. String. I didn't catch that. I asked the guy a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's crazy. I think so. The real test, right, is what do they call that? Beggar's lice, or uh, it's that thin strip with like oh, yeah. third yeah, that stuff. <laughs> That stuff, like when that sticks on you, I mean, it would stick on these pants. It sticks on jeans. So I really, that's the worst of it. I really wonder if that that change will actually work on that stuff. I mean, I would think it might still stick, but it might be easier to get off. Get off. You might just, you know, pat down your pants or whatever. It might be easy to get that to come out. Yeah. Because of my current Sitka system, like... I, I used to take time to pull all of them off. And if, if it's in the front and I'm in the tree stand while I'm waiting for deer to come by, <laughs> I'll sit there and pick them off. But not when like, – I if it's if it's a ton of them, I just – they're on there. Yeah. Like you, I'm not going to take the time to go in and pick off every single one of those, like, one-eighth of my fingernail-sized burrs. Yeah. Man, it's annoying. So, And, I mean, I never used Sika in the past – yeah. One of the reasons was because of that high pile fleece. Yeah. 
Yeah. So do you think this is something that from a, from a sickest, you know, from that change is something that makes you look at that, that brand now or not? Yeah, it's definitely a lot more attractive of an option. I mean, yeah. realistically, like the clothes I have now are fine. They would right. continue to be fine for several years. But right. if I wanted to try that system out and play around with it, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot more appealing than it was last year. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, kind of sticking on to clothing once. And this is, I find this interesting because there's a company called Element Camo. Did you ever, did you get it around to see them? I saw some of their garments. I yeah. saw their booth. Um we were looking in that one side room. They had some garments yep. there, but yep. I didn't really go too in depth. Right. What What I like about Element Camo is that they've they've taken a huge jump in quality and technical, like the technicalness. Is that a word? Technicalness, whatever of their <laughs> of their gear from their Gen One series to their Gen Two series. They took a huge step, and because of that, like. Okay, so I got I did an interview uh, on this podcast with them. The owner sent me some of their stuff. I looked at it and I was just like I I wore it a little bit. Um, n- didn't really get too into it. I didn't think it performed as well. However, they've made some huge strides in their development, and it makes me want to take a, another look at that brand again. Is it more fit and finish things that they've improved or materials? Uh, fit, finish, and materials. Right. So they have a, like a, a fleece insert. It just overall looks better. Uh, you can tell just by looking at the garment itself that it's really well built. And uh, so that's that's definitely something that I'm going to take a look at because from a from a especially from a tree stand standpoint. Right. Probably not for my Western hunts. Yeah. Like I'm still going to be a probably a merino base layer you know sick a mountain jacket mountain pants type guy but with a tree stand you know tree stand application um instead of maybe having to buy the new fanatic system or the new fanatic jacket or pants or whatever going with something off and just have keeping my my elk base layers and some of the others to mix and match i think i think that would definitely it could be a good option for people so I just I like I really like to see, especially like what Sika does. Right, they take their their customer reviews very seriously and they adapt their products to that, just like their Fanatic system. And I think this Element Camel Company did the same same thing, and they're direct to consumer, and uh, you know obviously a little cheaper than Sitka. But I, I like it when a company makes those changes and, and you see real results in in their Gen Two whether it's gear or it's clothing, I, I really like that. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, what's next? Next I have uh T Bird Archery. Okay. Makes a modular aerosaw. Okay. So aerosaws have always been kind of one of those things where it's like most of the time if you don't have an aerosaw, they're kind of expensive. You go to the archery shop. If you didn't buy the arrows there, you got to pay X number of dollars get them cut. for them to get them cut to length. Yeah. And then they're not always square. They don't always take the time to square them for you. Yeah. This guy has an aerosaw that's designed to be able to – you could use it in the shop, but yeah. it's also designed so that the everyday guy could be able to use one of these in his garage. Yep. Instead of just having one huge tray that's just one piece. 
Yeah. You can take it into pieces and it comes in a smaller package so you can, when you're not using it, put it back in its case, store it somewhere, and then be able to, when you want to cut a dozen arrows or whatever, lay the thing back out, lock it all together. And he had a couple of components that were all integrated into the same system that right. I thought was unique. Usually you get an arrow saw, it's just an arrow saw. Right. He had, you could plug in basically like a vac, a shop vac. Yep. So you're sucking out all that carbon dust. Yep. The saw is on the same kind of rotor as like a arrow squaring device. Okay. So normally like an arrow squaring device, you got a small, like, like a little grit, like okay. a carbide grit finish that kind of sands that yep. carbon. Since it's rotating on kind of that same disc, you can set your length, take your arrow, put it in that hard stop, cut the arrow to length, move it over like an inch, rest it on an arrow spinner, and then just slowly move it in and just touch it up against that rotating disc yeah. that has that grid on it, and that squares your arrow in like a fraction of a second. Yeah. Then you take it off and you're done. you got an arrow spinner right there integrated in the machine, so it's like multiple tools in one. Nice. Do you build your own arrows? Yeah. Yeah. See, I don't, and it's it's something that I want to learn how to do. And, and the only thing that I have been shorting myself on is an arrow saw. Yeah. Whenever it's always been one of those things. It's like the last I can do most stuff in my garage, but cutting the arrows to length is one of those last things that I've still driven to the pro shop to be able to do. Right. But that might be something that I go ahead and get. What's uh What's that re- cost? It's it's like one sixty. Oh think. really? Yeah. So that's not bad. Yeah. When you think when you think about it. Because whenever I was in a bow shop watching it, it just seemed like it was a much bigger machine yeah. than how how big was this thing? You think it well? I mean, lengthwise longer yeah. than what you need for an arrow. The tray was probably six eight inches wide. Yep. The machine itself was probably uh, I don't know what do you what did you call this? Like the size of a cantaloupe. Yeah. 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 Okay. Nice. All right, so anything else with that company? Or is that the no, only thing they that's made? pretty much that was their main thing. Okay. And the name of that again? T Bird Archery. T Bird Archery. All right. Okay, what is next? So you know how the last podcast I said I wanted to look a lot more at like cell cams? Cell cams, yes. Yep. So there's definitely a lot of companies that had cell cams available. You know, companies that you were familiar with like SpyPoint. Yep. Spartan. Right, so yep. some of these companies that have already had cameras out, I saw Moultrie made like a $180 one that they were presenting. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's like one end of the spectrum is like cell cams are starting to get cheaper. Right. The other end of the spectrum is cell cameras that are going higher in quality. So same type of thing that like Lone Wolf Customs is doing with like trying to get just like the best system. They don't care how much it costs. Yeah. Guys are trying to do that with the cell cameras too. Right. So there's one company I talked to called Intelligent Surveillance Corp. Okay. Basically, like, they're, a lot of their business is based on making security cameras for the U.S. government. Really? They got cameras on the border walls. They have their system. And I went, I talked with their tech guy for like half an hour. <laughs> so, like, I rec- I, I'm going to upload a video on it, but the video that I upload is, like, a fraction of all the detail that we went into. Right, So right. We, we really nerded out about, like, the sensor and the processor and the lens and all that stuff that they're using. Basically, it's, like, it's like top-quality components. This, they're using, like, a, the one of the biggest Sony sensors, like, up-to-date that you can get. They're using a higher-resolution lens. They're using 
a signal processor that can take a large amount of data from that sensor and actually process it um, in a video codec. Like they can film 4K video with this camera. Wow. And it's doing it in an H.265 codec, which is more efficient than what is usually on the market now. So you're getting higher quality video with a lower file size. So it's almost like a DLSR camera. It's essentially, that's how they kind of told it. It's like yeah. a, it's like the, the technology of like a DSLR in a trail camera. Wow. So he was showing me pictures too, like uh, pictures and videos of him, like walking through a Creek half hour after sunset. Yeah. And the sensor quality, the lens, the, ISO, right? It's like the automatic gain, the digital gain that they're able to add in. It looked like it was still half hour before sunset. Yeah. Just with the amount of light that was there. So normally shell cameras at that time of day, they're kicking on IR already. Sometimes you get that weird intermediate phase where it's yeah. like kind of a whitish grayish picture. Or it's like, or if the sun's coming up and it has, it hasn't switched back to daylight and it's really dark. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. image quality looked fantastic. The other thing we, cause like there's no visible antennas. Right. I saw some trail cameras that were cellular that had like two foot long antennas sticking yeah. on the top of them today. Yep. And the guy was basically telling me, he's like, if you see a trail camera that has two antennas out of the top, he's like, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. He basically just came right out and said that. He's like, the second antenna does, I can't remember exactly what he, what he told me in detail, but he's like, it's not necessary. And in addition, a lot of it depends on how the thing is tuned. Right. So they're saying internally, like an iPhone has like a couple different embedded so it's like saying, like, how can, with a cell cam, how come you sometimes will see better reception on your phone than the camera that has the antenna? Yeah. He's saying, like, well, there's, they have four internal antennas that are tuned to multiple different, like, frequencies or, or modes of, of connectivity, basically. Right. So it's not specific to Verizon. It's not specific to AT&T. You can choose, depending on where you're at, maybe your location does better AT&T. Mm-hmm. Maybe you got bad weather and all of a sudden Verizon is better. You can change that from the app inside your house. Really? Yeah. So it, it, it lets you choose the strongest signal. Yeah. So now you talked to me about this already yeah. a little bit. So, so from a retail standpoint, what are we talking about here? Expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like $600, $650, somewhere in that range for their lower end model. Okay. Now that probably compares somewhere. It's got to compare somewhere to the Reconyx, right? Yeah. I, di- I didn't even stop at the Reconyx booth this year, but I mean, in the past, I th- I'm, I don't even want to guess, but I thought they were coming out with, they had trail cameras in the $1,000 mark. Really? $800, somewhere around there. But like, that was early on when cell tech, when they were like one of the first with cell tech technology. But now, like you said, as more companies come out with cell cameras, that price of a cell camera on average, depending on what it can do and what the specs are on it, is going down. Right. 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 Yeah. And their more expensive model. Right. Their like tier two model was like nine hundred something dollars. Okay. And what that one did that the the less expensive one didn't do was it has. It has more of an algorithm built into it that can allow you to only send certain things. So it can use artificial intelligence to be able to tell if it's a picture that has a deer in it um, or if it has a turkey in it or whatever and only send you those pictures and not send you the pictures of a squirrel going by, not send you pictures of, you know, I, I was I brought up like, oh, so you're not going to get pictures of branches swinging past. He's like, that shouldn't happen anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's like, that's a tuning issue if you got if you got that going on. Yeah. Um, 
or grass blowing in the wind. Yeah, I yeah. Got, I've had trail cameras where they fill up in like two days. Oh yeah, absolutely. Set them in the wrong spot. Absolutely. I have um. Oh, in regards to cell camera, the cell camera. What was like the battery situation with it? It had eight AA batteries. Yep. That basically you slot it in from the bottom. It looked like. Okay. Does it look like a standard trail camera? Kind of. I'd say it looks more. It looks less hunting ish. Yeah. Like normally you got the you know kind of the the, the cool three D you know molded yeah. housing and the the camo. Like it was pretty just like a basic rectangular block. Yeah. With like the lens and the sensor. Gotcha. And then they had look like a rubber rubberized like housing that you could put slide over the top. Gotcha. Yeah, and their their highest their third tier model, not available for consumers. Really? So it's, it's like it's like it's tied into like the government contracts. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, that's nuts. And the government probably just pays whatever they want for price. You know, if they right. have a cover, government contract. So, go, kind of going back on the algorithm, being able to identify identify and send certain things. I think that's some of the same technology that Deer Lab uh, is using so as you as you fill up your 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 card yep. on your trail camera um you insert it into your computer and you start uploading those files to deer lab well you can select the 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 deer lab will tell what pictures like label pictures so deer or human or bird or yep. whatever it, it'll put a it'll put a title to whatever's on there and then you can delete everything that is not a deer right 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 so uh, that's cool that i i have a feeling that some of the, it has to be some of the same type of technology yeah, and, and my spy point app for the cameras that i have from spy point yeah they have that too. Like you can click on the buck filter, and it's supposed to filter only the buck gotcha. pictures and stuff. I mean, it's like it's okay. It's not. Does it work? It's obviously not going to be. If you're using it in the field, it's probably better. Yeah. But like a lot of times when I'm setting cameras up, I'm I'm hanging them up in trees, facing down in like wooded areas. So it's yeah. like if you get a picture where like eighty percent of the deer is covered up by obstructed by trees and yeah. stuff, it's like it's not going to pick out that little like you know little bit of antler tines. Right. Right. All right. Anything else with that trail camera? Is there a fourth tier? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Talk to aliens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's the uh, next one? Next one I have is Fire Knock. Fire Knock. And they didn't really have anything that was like particularly new right. this year. But like this is one of those companies that is unique in that there's so much technology packed into what they do that I think a lot of people don't understand it. And describe what? Fire Knock is. Yeah, so I think a lot of people know Fire Knock is the company that makes really expensive lighter knocks. Yep. That, uh, you know, high precision, they use circuitry and, and uh, accelerometers to turn the knock on and off. Yeah. But beyond that, they have an aero system. And Dorge, the guy who's, like, behind Fire Knock, he, he comes from the aerospace. I don't know if he has a PhD or, or what exactly his credentials are, but he came from the aerospace industry. And he is the most OCD guy that I, I've ever met yeah. in regards to aero construction. He understands not only the physics, but he understands manufacturing. He understands process. He's he's talking about how you have to glue certain things with certain adhesives within certain dates and in a certain way. You got to clean your 
Like he's right. Like I said, he's the most OCD guy I've probably ever met in regards to arrow construction. Right. But um, their system is basically designed to, if you use all the components, designed to make the arrow act more efficiently when shot out of the bow. Okay. So he was talking about like, you know, you can have um, shafts that sit behind your insert inside the arrow. Yeah. That will make make you have different spine ranges throughout the arrow. That's right. going to help the arrow dynamically react quicker out of the bow. Um, same thing on the rear side of the arrow. He was inserting tubes just shy of the knock. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're basically like if you think of the nodes of the arrow as it flexes like this, it's changing the shape of that of that diagram as the arrow flexes. Okay. So he's saying like, you know, most of the time nine yards out in front of the bow, the thing's no longer flexing at all. Okay. Just spinning and going. Um, what was, I mean, he's got a lot of components and I don't want to go into too much detail about what they all are, but. Is it a, a when I, when I hear system, I, I hear broadhead, arrow, fletchings, knock. So his, all syst- of it? his system would be arrow shaft. Yep. He says he has a weave that he thinks is optimized to be able to allow um, the most consistent dynamic response. Because mm-hmm. um, he's saying most arrows, the way they're designed, the spine actually, it's not just like a linear, like stiff side, weak side of the arrow. It actually has like a little bit of a curve to it. He was saying that the way his are woven are, are supposedly straighter, more consistent in that spine. Yeah. Um, so he's got the shaft. He's got inserts. And the inserts, he's got titanium, he's got stainless steel, he's got aluminum. I asked him, performance-wise, is it, like, why would you choose one versus the other? He said mostly it's weight. The aluminum is the lightest, gotcha. titanium is the midweight, stainless steel is the, the heavyweight option. You right. just choose whatever you want based on what the overall specs of the arrow need to be. Then behind that insert, they have that carbon tube that's adding that stiffness throughout that front range. Yep. Another carbon tube at the back that's adding stiffness toward the back end of the arrow. So most of your flex is just occurring in that center part of the arrow. That affects where the nodes are. Um, and the last part of the system, I guess, would be, like, the knock. Um, a couple other minor things about, like, both the knock and, and the uh, the insert. He has a way of cham- chamfering the shaft so that instead of just having a squarely cut arrow and the inserts slapped against that square end... His inserts actually have like a wedge, and then he'd be creating like a taper on the um, the carbon shaft. So one would fit into the other. And then when you have a hard impact, it's if anything, it's just forcing it to be more concentric. Yeah. You don't have issues where all of a sudden, like with your tolerances, you hit something and maybe your arrow shifts a little bit like that and introduces wobble. Um, ultimately, though, some of the data that he was telling me about and some of the numbers – with his system, you end up with a really low FOC arrow, Yeah, which I talked to him in great detail about because he's one of the, the guys that is firmly low FOC, Yeah, it seems like, with his system. He believes that that's better, but you can't just pick and choose certain things right. of the system. Um, and and it seems to be maybe we're getting out of that right now, but I know last year it was a huge, like, FOC was a hot topic Yeah, in, in uh, just discussion about arrows. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what he was saying was essentially, you know, with with your high FOC, right, you got the big head and your the less weight you have in the tail end of the arrow when you hit something hard, 
right? You have less mass moving around side to side to impede penetration. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like one of the big things of why FOC is supposed to give you better penetration. But he is saying the way with his setup works is it's so linear by the time it hits that you're not getting that flex induced as much. So anything that's that's straight, it doesn't matter where the weight is, it's going straight through. You're not getting that oscillation yeah. as much. Yeah. So that was kind of his his theory behind it and his data. He was saying that um, when the arrow has a really low FOC like that, it flies flatter, doesn't fly. It doesn't fly arced where you, you shoot it up and right it goes down like this. Yeah. He's saying you shoot it and it just kind of levels out, takes a gyroscopic spin and just kind of floats horizontally. So he's saying like at 100 yards, for example, you get uh, – he had a guy shoot like a 400-grain arrow um, – shot it and then he took one of his systems at 440 grains and while as the first arrow was kind of angled down on that target at 100 yards Mm -hmm. the other arrow his arrow system which was heavier was 13 inches higher and stuck straight into the target so he's basically saying by the numbers and the high speed camera and and the setting the chronographs downrange it's retaining a lot more of that initial velocity coming out of the bow so whereas a normal arrow maybe starting at 300 Mm-hmm. maybe you're at 260 by 80 yards but with his system you might still be at 290 wow, wow. man i love science <laughs> like to me when you were describing that it made it made me think of a boat coming out of the water being tail he- heavy first and then coming out and just planing up mm-hmm. you know what i mean so may or you know i don't know if that's a good comparison but yeah i to build his system, it's really expensive. Yeah. And and the other thing he was telling me too is like tolerances on tolerances on the the veins. Right. Tolerances on the glue that holds the veins together make a big difference. Right. Like to have his system, it has to be perfect. Right. Or else you're you're or it's, it's not, not going to work system. as intended. Right. Yeah. What? So it, let's say I I bought into what this dude was saying. Yeah. How much does it cost for let's say like I don't know how does he sell them six six arrows. You can buy the components individually. I don't know if you can buy complete systems, but then he trains. He only certifies certain dealers. He won't sell to dealers that don't go through his basically like classroom training because he doesn't want he doesn't want people selling his stuff that don't understand how the system works. Wow, because he thinks it's going to be it's going to do him a disservice because guys are going to be not doing it correctly and <laughs> and then it's they're going to have you know, kind of half-assed results from the system. People are not going to like the system. Yeah, it makes sense. So he only sells through certain dealers that have gone through the process of being certified and trained. Yeah. But you can buy the components off the website. I've actually bought some of his components in the past Yeah. to play around with. Um, but yeah, to for a normal guy to get a system, I think you'd have to buy through one of his dealers, mm-hmm. one of his certified dealers, or be able to piece the stuff together yourself, which is definitely doable. I mean, he sells all the tools to be able to, to put them together. Do you have a rough estimate of what it would, t- what something like that would cost? Um, I don't. I mean, I'm sure like the tools, like the fletching jig and some of the oscillation tools and stuff, they're, yeah. they're expensive. Does that come with the system too? No, no. no. Okay. It's, I, I mean, you, so like I would, I would say, you know, like the Grizzly Stick Arrows I bought last year. Yeah. I think they were like, ended up being like, with all the stuff I bought, like 180 bucks for six. Yeah. I would bet if you did this whole system, it might be more than that. Yeah. Okay. Without putting the numbers together bit by bit. Yeah. That's uh, some really detailed and, you know, like, it's crazy how in the industry you have, you have that. You have something that is so precise 
and then there's you know other like i'll just use easton because it's the big bigger company that you can go to walmart and grab six arrows out of a tube and who knows what the weight if they're even straight by the time they get there right type, you know so yeah that's pretty interesting uh anything on that interesting sidebar he was also saying that three thousandths and six thousand straightness arrows are preferable to the one thousand straightness he said the reason for that was if you get a one thousandth is so close to being straight, it's really hard to predict what it's going to do. Whereas if you've got a three thousandths or six thousandths, it's going to do a certain thing. It's going to have some kind of directionality to it, you know, really? the way it, the way it bends and whatnot. Right. And you can, you can index that, right? You can shoot at long range and be able to say, oh, this arrow is always flying to the right, and you can turn your knock and be able to get it to go straight. And then eventually, all your arrows are aligned perfectly with one another after you go through that process. But with the one thousandths, it's hard to harder to do that. I wasn't, I don't know. I, I feel like some of that stuff's getting really far into the weeds. Yeah. I feel like as far as accuracy is concerned, right? You have so many different things that come into play, right? And if the arrow is straight and let's just say the arrow is perfectly straight, there is no curve to it. I would feel that that would be at, at that point be a constant in an equation, Right. It's something that you don't need to worry about because the arrow is straight. You know, it's, it's always going to do the same. It's 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 a perfect arrow. Right. Well, yeah, but then you also got the I mean, the spine is a big part of it, too. And how the spine aligns on the shaft. Yeah. Right. So that arrow potentially that arrow could maybe behave more erratically or it could behave it could behave differently from like the rest of the shafts. Like it might be like you were saying harder to harder to like, if you had, let's say you have arrows that are all curved. If you curve all those arrows the same way, like, you know, they're, they're probably going to fly pretty similarly. Yeah. It allows you to tune your setup accordingly. Right. It makes it easier to match one to the next. Gotcha. Whereas if you're, if you're, you're starting off so close to perfect, it makes it harder to match one to the other because they're, they're so close. It's maybe hard to tell exactly where the differences are but again it's like what does it matter if you're getting good arrow flight like ultimately that's the yeah your accuracy is the the main indicator of yeah anything else i could see something like that yeah all right anything else with uh that fire knock um no they have a lot of if if guys are interested in that they got a lot of info on their website a lot of like archery like arrow 101 and stuff like that gotcha all right what else what else you got for us that was the the big five that okay. I had chosen to go over. There, All right. There's a lot of other stuff I looked at. What's uh what's what would be the next one on your list? I think we got time for let's see, we got time for maybe a couple more. One more, maybe two more. So there's of the climbing six companies. Yes. I think that's the one I want to talk about. I, th- I think um so there's a couple of things. Like I think Lone Wolf had a lot of press about what they did, but they weren't the right. only people that had climbing stick things that were new right. or updated. Right. Um, Hawk, they made a couple changes to their sticks. Okay. So the Hawk helium sticks, which have been pretty popular sticks. Right. What a lot of guys have been doing with those sticks because they don't like the attachment method is they've been installing their own DIY Versa buttons yeah. to make them like the Lone Wolves. Yeah. And then they'll just use a strap to attach it on. Right. Hawk has now implemented that into their new sticks. Right, that, that type of button attachment where you can put, just loop a strap over the top. They also added kind of like a suction cup between one versus the other. So you can take the two sticks and kind of suction cup them together. Yeah. And they 
they hold together like that. So then all you have to do is just pull them apart when you get to wherever you're taking yeah. them apart at. Mm-hmm. Suction cups. Yeah, I didn't see them up close. That was one of the booths I didn't. I, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't stop by that booth either. I didn't even see it. There's so many booths in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There are a lot of booths. I think what they were saying is like a half mile from, from, let's see, aisle zero to aisle aisle like five thousand. That there's just so many. I mean, there's there's hundreds and yeah. hundreds of booths in there. I felt like there was there were certain booths I'd see like eight times a day. Yeah, and then like at the end of the day, all of a sudden there'd be like something that I haven't seen before. Right. It's like, clearly I'm like taking without like looping, like down each aisle. Like You're I was, I was a, definitely a taking predisposed. Like my brain was just automatically picking the same route right, over and right. over. I think a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so Hawk implemented that new Versa button. Mm-hmm. Now, what about these, uh, inje- was it injection yeah. or roll mold? Yeah. Stacked outdoors. Had, Stacked outdoors. Had injection molded climbing sticks. Okay. They were like a glass filled nylon, like a 40% long fiber glass. Yeah. And they're one piece, double step. They have really wide step surface to be able to put your boot on. Yeah. And then that step is spaced very far from the tree. Okay. So overall, very comfortable to stand on. Not going to give you a lot of calf fatigue. Um, they weren't the lightest sticks in the world. I think the stack of four of them was like, I think nine and a half or pounds or somewhere in that range yeah they stack perfectly vertically i think the guy had like seven sets all just in one big stack there's no there's no gaps between the sticks they they basically they nest like like solo cups yeah so then with was there any moving parts at all on those sticks no moving parts okay how did they attach to the tree they have basically buttons on the side of the sticks that you okay. would put a strap on. So I asked them if you if you had to have the strap separate, like the way they stack, like none of the stacks had the straps on it. So I was right. like, do you have to take those off to be able to stack them? And he's like, no, you can still stack them with the straps on. He's like, a lot of times you'll do it that way and then just use like an extra strap to loop them all, all four of them together at the end. He's like, but sometimes it's always it could be easier just to have the strap separate and just pull one out as you need it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think last year millennium came out with a micro stand, like a really, a really small stand. Um, but other than the lone wolf, you know, I didn't see real anything. However, I just want, you know, want to say that that like the original lone wolf, right. I still, I still see that being able to be used into somebody's system throughout a year, right? That stand. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. I think they're going to cater to different, like you wouldn't take, you wouldn't take the new lone wolf custom. You wouldn't outfit your property with that. No, no, you way wouldn't. too expensive. Yeah. Right. So I think just price wise, there's still going to be a lot of people are still going to want to probably stick with yeah. the original lone wolf or yeah. lone wolf, non lone, lone wolf, wolf lone wolf tree stands. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. So let's see, man. We've, there, I mean, we could sit here and talk for hours about all the all the companies that were there, um, and this is just one of those things that, to you know, to tell all the listeners out there to do your research, because there are companies out there that 
do things a little bit different and they may do the, those things that are just a bit different to what you're really looking for. So take time, do your research, really look into products that you want to buy, whether it's a bow or a trail camera or boots or whatever, and just do your research because there, there, there were hundreds of companies there that sold thousands of different products and if you're not happy with what you have right now i'm sure you can find a company that will provide you with what you need so yeah yeah cool oh yeah anything else you want to chit chat about i'm getting hungry again i'm st- i haven't we, we've been talking <laughs> about this earlier so <laughs> we eat so much at night yeah that you end up not being hungry until about two in the afternoon yeah and then I end up not eating until dinner again. Right. So I'm only eating like one meal a day. Right, right. Oh, wait. Just to recap then on <laughs> on uh, what you said about peak refuel. Oh, right? yeah. They're, they're coming out with new new stuff. So, man, I walked up to the ATA food court, right? And I was looking at their menu, and it was like 10 bucks for things. Just outrageously priced, in my opinion. And... It didn't even look good, right? I, 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 so I hardly even ate there. So I ended up, I was hungry. So I ended up going to the peak refuel booth and I said, listen, man, can you make me a pouch? Do you have any pouches left over? I'm hungry and I don't want to eat this gross ass food. And, <laughs> and he's like, hell yeah, dude. So he served me up and I ate some beef and noodles. God, I forget the name of it, but it's like their version of beef stroganoff. And it was freaking delicious. So I went to the Quiet Cat booth with Adam Parr of Transition Wild, and uh, we were. I sat down in the, in the Quiet Cat booth, and I ate. Uh, I ate some uh, Peak Refuel while, and it was good. So that that might be an option for for elk hunting this year. Yeah, I liked it. I bought a whole pack of it when it was on um, on clearance for uh, Black Friday. Black Friday. So you got a big case. I'm saving for next trip. Nice, nice. Yep. Well. First, your first ATA show is over. I think this is like, man, like my ninth, I want to say. Maybe ninth because I, I went for a while and then I backed out of it uh, because I think I had some small kids there. And then now I'm, you know, I'm on a roll for a while. But again, uh, I really like coming to this show. Um, I don't know if I'm going to come next year. And I, I'll tell you why. I, want, I think I want to experience another big show like the... Uh, the, uh, the the Western Expo out in Salt Lake City, yeah, or something like that, uh, or maybe one of the bigger retail shows like Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, or uh, as the Sportsman's Nation evolves into like the fishing category, I would love to kind of go to that ICAST show in Florida. Yeah. I think that would be uh, pretty pretty cool to go uh, uh, attend as well. So we'll see what happens. I, more than likely, I'll come back, but we'll see. Well. We done? I think so. All right.